You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Hear the word of the Lord for this morning's text. My name is Curtis Arnold, and I'm one of the elders here. And be reading from Romans 8, verses 31 to 39, and that's on page 652 in the Bibles and the chair backs in front of you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it brings us. Our hearts rejoice in that. Father, we pray for the sermon this morning, the message that that, uh, you will open our eyes and open our hearts to hear your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Curtis. I hate Satan. I hate Satan. I hate Satan for everything he does, the way he deceives the way he seeks to steal and kill and destroy. Our our greatest enemy is Satan and his minions, and I hate him. I don't know who you think your enemy is today. Somebody who is on the other team, somebody who votes different than you, somebody who has strong convictions different than you, a boss you don't like, somebody who's hurt you, but whoever you don't like, they're made in the image of God. And God willing, they would be saved. And if they would be saved, we would get to spend eternity with them in the same family. Whoever that person is that you may think is your enemy. They're not really your enemy. But I'll tell you who your real enemy is. It is Satan. And he hates you. And he hates this church. And he hates everything that's good. He hates obedience and he hates repentance. And he hates the, the word of God. And he hates the people of God. And he would be thrilled to burn it down if he could. And I hate him for it. 
one of, one of Satan's tricks, according to Jesus. From the text, Jesus says, Matthew, Satan was a murderer from beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When Satan lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus hates Satan. I believe I do too. Do you hate Satan? Have you felt personally any of the effects of the way the Satan works in your own heart and in your own lives? Man, the pain, the frustration, it's real. Satan's a liar. And this morning, he's up to the same old tricks he's always been up to. And he's trying to pull it in my life. And he's trying to pull it in your life. And in our text then, we find five lies that, that Paul wants to be sure we're on guard against. Posed to us as a question. To be fair, the, the name Satan isn't in our text. But as you read the questions that Paul is asking, what you come to realize is implicit in what Paul's arguing is that, that there is one trying to trick you into believing these lies. And Satan, being the father of lies, would like nothing else than for you to come in here, put some, put some earplugs in your ears, miss the truth, and then walk out and leave unchanged by his word. But if the Spirit would be so kind as to give us ears to hear and soft hearts, the truth could set you free. It's setting me free, and it wants to set you free. The Lord would love for you to know the truth today and be able to walk out of here with freedom. So I don't know what, what you're coming in with here today. I don't know what you think your needs are, but I'm telling you, in our text, we have truth that we can anchor into, and it will lead us not just this week, this truth, it will lead you to the last of your days. And I hope you can get this. If you're a note taker, I hope you lean in and you can get some of this down because this truth is gold and it will guard you and guide you. Five lies then that you and I tend to believe. Five truths to combat these lies. That's the way the sermon is going to be organized. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Romans 8, 31 to 39, let me show you five lies that Paul is going to object to and give us the truth. Lie number one is I'm on my own. Lie number one that Paul is going to throw a haymaker at through the power of the Spirit is going to knock that sucker out is this lie that you are on your own. Now, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here in what's going on in Romans. In case you missed the last couple weeks or in case you just don't recall, the primary doctrine that Paul has just been hammering home week after week as we walk through this text is justification by faith. Would you say that with me? Justification by faith. That is the doctrine of Romans that he just keeps anchoring in. And this doctrine is so crucial because every other world religion is going to tell you that there is justification by something else. That's the message of the world. That's the lie of the serpent that you can be justified by doing good works or you can find justification by what people think of you or you can find justification um, in sex or you can find justification in what you buy or you can find justification in all these other ways. And the, and the world's lie is something like if you can obey enough and do enough, whatever that list is, then you'll be justified. 
then you'll find what you're looking for, functional salvation. But Paul comes in and goes, that's not the way it works. And we believe in justification by faith. And so he just hammers this throughout the beginning of Romans. And, he, and as he walks through 1 to 5, clarifies the doctrine. 6, he says, we're not going to sin anymore because of justification by faith. 7, he, he identifies this tension we live with where, but wait, I still struggle with sin, so how do I make sense of that? And then in 8, he comes in with this beautiful assurance, but reminds us suffering is part of justification by faith so that when we get here, then there's, there's this reality that he wants the Roman church and us by extension to realize that justification by faith, it really matters. And it really changes the way you live. And it, and it opposes the lies that we're tempted to believe. So the first lie that Paul's opposing is in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I was running for Stucco president when I was a fifth grader, and I put this on a sign at a Christian school. If God is for me, who can be against me? My opponent, we connected recently. He goes, I always thought you were like calling me the devil, man. I lost. Both in the presidential election, but also in knowing the context of this verse. This isn't student council propaganda. This is, this is Paul, the Spirit of God through Paul, wanting to inscripturate for us that what shall we say to these things, verse 31, remember what these things are. Things is pointing back to the suffering that we worked through last week. If you missed last week, be helpful, especially if you're struggling with suffering. Then dive into the text. There's life in God's word, and it cuts. If you need help understanding it, we explained it last week in the sermon. What, what Satan wants you to believe when you're going through suffering is you're all on your own. There's nobody else who's going to stand with you. Good luck. You're going to need it. Nobody cares. Have a good day. You're by yourself. That's, that's the lie that Satan wants you to believe. What Paul's coming in is he goes, no, no, no. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Rhetorical question, meaning, well, not if God's for us. If God's for us, we're good. And if you're, if you're here and you are in Christ, which that in Christ that in Christ phrase is so crucial because these truths that we're offering through God's word are not for you if you're not in Christ. Like if you're not in Christ, you should be worried and concerned and you are on your own. But, but if you're in Christ, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, nobody can be against us. And then this is exactly what we're tempted to believe when life gets really hard. I don't know what suffering you're going through. I don't know what pain you're going through. I don't know what it's like in your day-to-day. -day. Whatever that pain is, if you just brought it to mind, man, the thing I'm struggling with the most right now, Jerry, the way, the way I feel like I'm suffering, isn't it just like the devil to whisper into your ear, you're on your own. Nobody cares. But it's not true. I hate the devil and I hate the lie. And look around. 
you dragged yourself here. And maybe you came in with just like a hair of faith left in you and it took everything you can to sit down. Then hear courage from the word of the Lord. You are not alone. You're not alone. I may feel alone. I may seem like I'm alone. Look around, pastor. I'm sitting alone. But you're not alone. If God is for you, who can be against you? God's on your side, which means all the pain, all the struggling, all the suffering, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're wrestling through, it's not by yourself. Man, he's with you. He's with you. He's with you. And nobody, nobody can stop our good and powerful God, especially Satan. Are you struggling with this lie? you're struggling with this lie, man, write this down, tattoo it on your heart. You are not alone. You're not alone. You can write the truth this way. God is with Christians. God is with Christians. That's the truth. God is with Christians. From the text, God is with those who are in Christ. Therefore, not even Satan can stand against you. God is for you. He is working for your good. He is walking you through whatever suffering and troubling, trouble you're going through. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Meaning all that suffering and strife is boiling you down and pouring you into a mold to make you look like Jesus. He's for you. God is with you. Try to Press this in. There, there, there may be some of you who go, okay, good. I'm glad whoever showed up lonely today, glad pastor gave him that word. This word's not for me. Okay, let me try to make this real practical. If you're here and you really struggle with wanting to win people's approval, then it's really hard on you when somebody criticizes you. And this isn't just the, the, the self-professing people pleasers out there. This is a way to decide if you're really struggling with approval is, do you have a hard time when somebody criticizes you and that like really makes you defensive? Or do you have a hard time when you start to lose? Or, or it feels like whenever you're, in a, whenever you're in a conversation and it starts to get intense, it turns into a win-lose in your mind? I'm trying to make this practical for anybody who goes, yeah, I don't know if I actually, this truth is that important to me. If, if you're here and you struggle with approval, man, I need the approval of people. If they don't tell me what I want to hear, when they think bad about me, man, that just crushes me. When, I, when I'm in a conversation, I feel like I lose. That's really hard. When my, somebody comes and criticizes me, I just feel so defensive, and I just got to point it back to them. If, if that's you, you may show up and be singing all the songs we're singing, and you may be able to repeat back to me justification by faith. You may be even be able to pass a test on how important justification by faith is, but it seems to me if you're struggling with those things, practically, you're struggling with justification by approval. That in your heart of hearts, when, when you cut it all away, in your heart of hearts, you actually are living with this idea that I really need approval to be justified. So that if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I noticed something you need to work on, you're ready to fight. Or when you're in a debate, you're ready to throw them in the wood chipper. So you're thinking to yourself, oh, me, ah, I've got to have your approval. It's justification by approval. But friends, if you believe this truth, you're not alone. You're not alone. So if somebody criticizes you, big deal. If it's true, apply it. If it's not, flush it. You're not on your own. 
You lose, big whoops. Jesus won. You're not on your own. Somebody wants to, somebody wants to come at you, okay, you got Christ. We don't believe in justification by approval. We believe in justification by faith. We want to believe it here. We want to believe it here. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. Line number two that Satan wants us to believe. God's holding out on me. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This lie, God's holding out on me, it is like mirror copy of Genesis 3 with Eve. Adam and Eve sitting there in Genesis 3. Remember the story? God says, look, eat anything you want except this one little tree. And what's the one thing they do? They're just like little babies. They're like, hey, whatever you do, do not put your finger in the socket. And they're just like, okay, I'm going for the socket. <laughs> show you. Well, show me. Go ahead. Adam and Eve, they go to the tree, and what's Eve do? Remember how the text describes it, actually? I don't, I don't want to give you my version of it. Let me read it directly, because I want you to hear what Eve does. Or, excuse me, here's what Satan says. You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Psh, Eve, I know he said it was bad, but it ain't bad. In fact, you're going to be like God. And, 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 and Satan planted this seed of doubt that has been transferred down, and it is in your and I's heart. And it's his heart that thinks, God really has something good for me, but he's like a dragon hoarding his treasure. And he's just like, no. Yeah, I got all the good stuff you want, and you can't have it. That's the lie we're tempted to believe. But this is what Eve does when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. So she's staring at it like a little kid ready to put their finger in the socket, just looking at it like, oh, that's the good life. Can't wait. It's going to send you to the ER, son. When she saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, meaning it was beautiful. In case you, in case you get confused and you think sin's ugly, it ain't. In our brains, it's beautiful. And so the moment you start justifying it to yourself or anybody, man, it looks good. Of course it looks good. Satan's not a dope. She saw that the tree is good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. That makes my eyes feel good. And that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her idiot nincompoop husband who was with her and he ate too. I, I embellished a little bit there. I'll let you decide which words I embellished. Classic Adam. Uh, yeah, go talking snake. That's that doesn't trouble me. Good, tastes good, looks good. Here's Eve. She's looking at the forbidden, thinking it looks good, it tastes good, makes sense to me. Probably is good. And 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 there's this lie that God's holding out on Eve. That's what Satan deceives her with. And that lie continues with us today. And we're still struggling with it. And those who've been justified by faith, Satan has put this big old juicy worm on a hook right in front of you. And whatever that worm is for you, you're thinking to yourself, man, it looks good. Whether it's a, an electrical socket for a little kid or something else for you, it just, in your heart of hearts, you struggle to look at it and think, that it's wrong, and you're thinking, God's holding out on me. But what Paul says here is 
That's a lie. Straight from the pits of hell. And here's how you know it's a lie. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's not this dragon with this big old pile of gold trying to keep you from it. God took all that was precious to him, the most precious thing, and he killed it. His son, he, he pawned everything he had. He, he gave it all up so that he could offer salvation to you. So whatever thing Satan's deceiving you with, telling you this is where you're going to find the good life, man, it's a lie. He gave up Jesus. So I don't know what you're thinking you need to be justified. Functionally, you don't need it. You've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and that's enough. Here's the truth. God gives Christians all we need. You have all you need. Thank you, Pastor. Glad that's exciting to you. I don't probably need this truth. I'm not struggling with this lie. Let me give you two examples of where people struggle with this lie, whether they realize it or not. For those of you struggling with sexual purity, I don't know what the stats are in this room, but the stats, if you want to Google it, they're awful. And I don't suppose we're much different. Okay, you're struggling sexually, whether you're struggling digitally. Oh, but pastor, it's just digital. It's not hurting anybody. Wrong. I'll get into that some other time. Come talk to me. Whether you're struggling digitally, whether you're struggling with fantasy, whether you're struggling emotionally, connecting emotionally in a way that you know is not okay, whether you're struggling physically, Whatever you're doing, struggling, if you have any sort of sexual impurity going on, what Satan is doing is he's playing you for a fool. And he's got this big old hook of sexual impropriety, and he's just dangling it in front of your face, a lot like the, that happened in the city of Corinth. And, and Satan's just going, here's what you really need. And you and I, like Eve, are just looking at it going, dang. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if God gave me this, like, sexual appetite, wouldn't he want me to fulfill it any way I want? And you start staring at it, and you go, and it's beautiful. Like, like he, he creates beautiful things. So, I mean, it's, and you just start thinking to yourself that he's holding out on you, but it's a lie. And we don't believe in justification by fulfillment. We believe in justification by faith. So whatever trajectory you think that sexual impropriety is going to take you down, I'm telling you it's a dead end. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, and that's what's going to happen. You're going to be a messy heap at the end, and we'll be there for you to love you and point you back to the cross if that's where you find. But, like, hit the brakes now and ask for help now. There's no justification found in sex. Justification by faith alone. Jesus Christ. Another way that we struggle to believe that God's holding out on us can be seen in consumer debt. Some are up to their eyeballs in consumer debt. And I think the way this can work is you find yourself going, hey man, uh, God doesn't give me much money, but I demand to have my personal consumer needs met. 
And so I'll just keep charging more credit cards and I'll just keep buying whatever I feel like I need and I'll put that on layaway and I'll, and I'll put that on interest and we just keep taking all God's money. We don't think it's enough, but he's called us to steward it. He's called us to be responsible with it, but instead of stewarding it and being responsible with it, we take a big old chunk of it and we just give it to interest, which goes to nothing and nobody. It's just frankly, biblically unwise to be putting a bunch of money toward interest. And then we think, oh, this isn't working so good. I keep getting into debt. So I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a second mortgage. And God knows I've done a second mortgage before and that's, a, that's not heading me in the right trajectory. And we think, well, that's not really doing it. So I'm going to take out a new credit card. Oh, they'll give me more credit card. I mean, they wouldn't give me more credit cards, right? If I wasn't good for it. So we take out more debt, more debt. And then finally, we, we were watching some show late at night and they say, call now. We'll consolidate it into all of one small debt for you. But you're never getting to the bottom of the problem when you just keep accruing debt, debt, debt. The problem is in your heart of hearts, you may be struggling with this reality that you are justified by consumerism. You're not going to buy your way out of that. And you can keep refinancing and consolidating debt, but till you get to the heart of the matter, which is, has God given you enough money to be able to live on and honor him with it? You're going to keep getting up to your eyeballs in debt. And I hope you don't have to, like, hit rock bottom before you realize that we don't believe in justification by consumerism. It seems like what you've bought into is a lie, that if you can have enough stuff, that you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction. It's never going to work. We believe in justification by faith. And if you're struggling to say no to consumerism, hear this truth. This will dismantle that deal. Because it's a ticking time bomb. It's going to blow you up. But this will dismantle it. Let's MacGyver that sucker by understanding the truth. God has given you all you need. You have it. You don't need that. You don't need to upgrade. Whatever things you're trying to go, man, I need to go. No, you don't. You have all you need. Line number three. I'm going to be charged guilty of sin before God. From the text. Here's the third lie Paul's wanting to dismantle in our lives. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Here's the way this lie works. Some of you in here, you just generally feel guilty for stuff you don't need to feel guilty about. You've got, a, you've got a hyperactive conscience. Your conscience is ADD and it needs some medicine. Some of you in here, um, you grew up Catholic and so it just baked into you. Some of you in here, maybe uh, online, you still identify as Catholic and you're like, that was a cheap shot. But let me ask, do you feel guilty? Most of my Catholic friends, I go, yeah, I'm, I'm always feeling guilty. So what are we going to do with this guilt that we regularly feel? Satan is an accuser. In fact, in the original language, this is what the Satan actually means. He's an accuser. Book of Job, he goes up to the throne of God, and he's just given a list of everything that he can accuse people for. So it makes sense to me, not only does he accuse us before God, but so do his minions. And somehow that same message is getting whispered into our ear. You're a failure. You're a mess up. You're never going to be good enough. Look at you. You call yourself a Christian? This is the most pathetic excuse for Christian obedience. I've ever seen in my life. Those are sort of the whispers that we hear. And, and what Paul has done is he's attacking Satan's primary job description. And, and Satan's, Satan's job description is being a deceiver. His business is booming. He just keeps on rolling. And what Paul gives us is justification by faith. 
we do not get justified by living rightly. So that if you're thinking to yourself, well, I do, Jeremy, I really do believe in justification by faith, but I keep messing up, so what? That doesn't change your status before God. In the text, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And here's where this sin, this, this lie is so tricky. See, if you're in here and you're not a Christian, you should be feeling guilty as charged. You're under the guilt of God. And that's who you were prior to salvation. You were guilty as charged. But remember that our sin was dealt with, but now the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the gift that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, meaning satisfied the wrath of God. That's what Jesus did. He satisfied the wrath of God. Whatever guilt you could have been charged, all of it, past, present, future, put on the cross. Your guilt has been propitiated. God is not mad at you. But I, but I messed up yesterday. Are you justified by faith or what you did yesterday? Well, what if I mess up tomorrow? It's not justified by faith so long as you don't mess up anymore. You're justified by faith, meaning there is never going to be a time when Satan can approach the throne of God if you're in Christ, if you're really in Christ. Satan cannot approach the throne of God and say one word about you. It was paid for. Jesus did it. Propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We believe in justification by faith. We don't believe in justification by sinless perfection after salvation. Pastor, though, I just feel so awful. I, I'm like a dog returning to its vomit. I just keep going back over and over again. And, and I think to myself, oh, no, look what I've done. Oh, I've done it again. Oh, I've messed up so bad. I feel so awful. I'm such a failure. And, and Pastor, I feel like I feel like I can be charged guilty before God. Well, now we're in the battle, aren't we? It's the difference between here and here. What I'm trying to do is help you see the truth of the word, that it can battle the lie that you're beginning to buy into. You're not justified by sinless perfection. You're justified by Jesus Christ, and he paid for it. Past, present, future. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's a rhetorical question. Nobody, not even Satan. Because you didn't justify yourself. It is God who justifies. Line number four, I'm condemned because of my sin. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who's to condemn? This brings us back to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Paul's point is who can condemn us? Look what Jesus does. What's Jesus doing? Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's at the right hand of God. And what is Jesus doing from the text? He is 
I was actually really wanting you to talk to me. He is interceding for us. Don't talk to me like I'm a kid, Jeremy. Sorry, I'm talking to you like a parent. I'll be more adult about it. What is Jesus doing right now in the text? He is He's interceding for us. Meaning, guess what he's not doing? Condemning. He's not condemning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So a lie that Satan wants you to believe is you are under condemnation. Now we talked about this. I want to reiterate it real quick. There is a difference between condemnation and conviction. It's a big difference. Condemnation. This overarching general sense that God is just so fed up with you. That he's like on some... 900-mile road trip in the front seat driving, and he's about this close to pulling the car over and kicking you out. You're going to walk home, son. Man, I think God's got a vein bulging out of his head. We better be careful. It's condemnation. Don't let us have it. Contrast that with conviction. Conviction. It's when the Holy Spirit speaks clearly to you in a way that you know, I'm in sin. And this is wrong. Not generic, not overarching. Like, like, hey, Jeremy, you are doing this wrong and you need to repent. If you're feeling conviction, that's the Holy Spirit working. That's good. You need to obey. Obey right away. If he's Lord and Savior, it turns out there's no, there's no category for disobeying the Lord. If you disobey the Lord, he ain't your Lord. Surprise. If he's your Lord, you obey. Conviction, condemnation. What, what Paul's saying is he's speaking to this lie for anybody in the church of Rome who's just feeling this general sense of condemnation, by extension, anybody here, if you're here and you're just feeling crummy and awful, generally thinking, I'm just such a pile of garbage, how could God ever find anything good inside of me? Hear this truth. Jesus is not condemning you, Christian, because Jesus doesn't condemn Christians. That's the truth. Meaning, if you wanted to make a little point with me and say, man, I'm really struggling with condemnation. Jeremy, what do you think I should do? I'd say Romans 8, 34. That's where we need to go. <laughs> who's to condemn? Nobody. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's interceding at the right hand of God for you. Jesus doesn't condemn you. But Jeremy, my feelings are so powerful. My feelings are so powerful, and I would say, but we aren't justified by your feelings. Feelings are going to follow. Feelings are going to follow your declaration. They're going to follow your heart. That's the way David says. So override your feelings. Find they're real, they're a reflection, but tell your heart what to believe. Here's the truth. Jesus isn't condemning you. We are justified by faith, not justified by feelings. Lie number five. I'm going to lose God's love. Here's the way Paul says it. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Here's the final lie. Paul takes the longest time on this one in all the verses we look at, we're looking at. And it's because this is the granddaddy of all of them. In fact, if you wanted to come up with the umbrella lie under which all the other lies fall, this is the one. When, when Paul says, 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Where does that lead to? It leads us to thinking, there's something I can do that is going to make God not love me anymore. That's where that lie ends. The lie of believing God may be holding out on me ultimately ends at, I'm afraid God's going to stop loving me. At the heart of thinking I can be charged guilty is I'm going to be separated from the love of God. At the, at the end of condemnation is, eventually, there's an, at the end of condemnation is, I'm going to lose God's love. Our great fear is that we can forfeit the love of God and we're going to be disqualified from the family of God. If you're in Christ here, isn't this like what scares you? I mean, this is the scariest of all of them. That, that God would build into this system of justification by faith some clause that boots us out. And that's what our hearts do. It's like, man, I keep sinning. I think eventually he's just going to get fed up with me. Or there's just so much things that I've done wrong. Or man, I'm, just, I'm afraid he's holding out on me. Or, or man, I'm just afraid something is going to separate me. And what do we do? Got to reject this dangerous lie. So Paul, now, he, he wants to drill it in real tight. Shall tribulation separate you from love of God? Shall distress? So persecution, is that going to separate you? Famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? Is this going to separate you? Then, he, then he's going to quote Old Testament. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul, wanting the Romans to know, man, the Old Testament affirms that this is what should be expected for the Christian life. Because the tendency, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Our tendencies when we're going through these things, all the suffering, all the persecution, all the danger, all the nakedness, the sword, our tendency is to think we're on our own and we're out. We've been kicked out. We finally did it. He finally, let, he finally had us get out of the car and we're on our own to walk home. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. What shall separate us from the love of God? What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing will separate us from the love of God. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you hear Paul? No, you haven't lost God's love. No, 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 no. You are more than conquerors in spite of all of this. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Now, he just covered a lot right there, huh? I mean, if you're just going, hey, make a small list of things that I'm afraid can disqualify me from the family of God. Can life or death? No. Can angels? Oh, that's a tricky one. Can the angels disqualify us? No. What well, about the opposite of the angels? Rulers? No. Well, what about things that are going to happen right now? No. What about things that are going to happen tomorrow? No nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. I love that clause, nor anything else in all of creation. 
You ever got hired to do a job and you've got this really clear job description and at the very end they say, and anything else the boss wants to tell you to do. It's like the boss's way of going, I'll have you clean the toilets if I feel like it. In this context, I think what the Holy Spirit has guided Paul to do is for any of us who are thinking, but, but what about this, what about this, Paul? Like, he didn't address that. Like, he, like, 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 that's not covered in life or death or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth. Like, what about this thing? So Paul goes ahead and adds the caveat, nor anything else in all of creation is going to be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Satan's great lie is that you can lose God's love. But hear the truth, church. If you are in Christ, you cannot be separated from the love of God. There's nothing you can do to dismiss yourself from the family of God. Nothing you can do personally. Nothing death can do. Nothing Satan can do. Reject the lie. Believe this truth. Here's the way I put it. This is the granddaddy truth of them all. So it's the sermon in a sentence. Believe the truth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate Christians from God's love. There's an assurance with justification by faith that, that goes with you that Paul wants you to get here at the end of Romans 8 so that you know that this doctrine of justification by faith, it's not a flavor of the week. You're not going to show up next week at Crumble Cookie and they've got a little flavor that you don't recognize. Instead, the flavor from beginning to end is always justification by faith and it doesn't matter what day you show up, that's always the special in the Romans cookie and it's always there for you that you can have confidence that nothing is going to separate you. And, and here's how we know and have such firm belief that this is true. Because our confidence, our confidence ultimately comes from what Jesus did at the cross. Because that's where, that's where he beat Satan with that ugly stick. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The gospel resolves all these lies. You're not on your own. Look at the cross. You're not on your own. You deserve to pay the punishment for your sin, but you're not on your own. It was Jesus who went to the cross. And you can't be charged guilty of sin. How do we know? Look at the cross. Jesus got charged guilty for your sin. It's been paid for. And you're not condemned. Look at the cross. Jesus took it. And then he said, it is finished. So you can't be condemned. You can't be double tried for that. That thing has been paid for. And you can't lose God's love. The cross conquered all. The sin that you that you've committed has been fully and finally punished at the cross, so there's nothing you can do or anybody can do to separate you from the love of God. If you're here and you're in Christ, then take that truth with you. Battle the lies with the truth of the gospel and let it guide you the rest of your days. Final word for those of you here who do not count yourself as Christians. I mean, none of these truths apply to you. And you can't have any confidence with any of this. If, 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 you don't have, if you don't have the love of God through Jesus Christ, you are on your own. And you are going to pay the price for your sin. You are going to be charged guilty before God. 
You should feel conviction. You, you should be worried that you're separated from the love of God. All of those things are true if you're not in Christ, but a great opportunity for you. You could be saved today. Today, you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is say, please, would you adopt me into your family? I'm sorry. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be the boss. Please. And he would do it. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord to drill these truths home? Now, Lord, thanks for Romans 8. And I pray for anyone in here who doesn't believe in you, that Holy Spirit, you would do your work. And you would save. Lord, for... For anyone in here struggling with these lies, I pray, Spirit, you would push them. You would would remove the lie, and you would push your truth deep. And these roots would produce so much gospel fruit, knowing, knowing the truth that we can't lose your love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.